turn again in our Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. We're turning again to Jeremiah chapter 12. And we're going to look <coughs> at verse 5. We're going to take it as our, our gospel theme this evening. Jeremiah 12 and verse 5. Just especially that latter phrase in verse 5 where it simply says, How wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? Of course, the crossing over of the children of Israel of the river Jordan was their, their entrance into the promised land. In order to get into the promised land, they had to go over Jordan. In the Bible, the land of Canaan is taken in various ways, is taken in its typology to represent some very important truths, to represent various conditions of the, the Christian life. <clears throat> it was the land of rest after the weary pilgrimage for 40 years of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And it may be considered, I think rightly so, as a type of that better state of, of Christian living that, that the child of God can enjoy. It's not entirely free from trouble. There are battles. You have to battle for the ground that you have to obtain. But it's God's sphere of service for his children. But Canaan is generally used uh, to represent something else. It's, it's, it's used to represent the rest that remaineth for the people of God. That rest that is beyond the grave. That rest that is in God's e great eternity. Heaven is compared to the earthly inheritance of God's ancient pilgrim people. And so when we talk about crossing over Jordan and when we talk about a crossing into heaven, it is our hope at the end of our earthly pilgrimage that we too will obtain our inheritance in our heavenly Canaan. And so when this aspect is in view, when we think of the crossing over of the River Jordan, which was Israel's old entrance into the Promised Land, it's not then unnaturally linked with death. Because death is the final enemy that we must engage with before we enter into glory. We look at this river Jordan and its waters are a picture for us of that chilling stream through which we all must wade in our dying hour. John Bunyan, I, I think, uh, put this image in, in the minds of the church of pilgrim crossing over the river, that river Jordan, before he would enter into the promised land and it has been drawn from Jeremiah chapter 12 and such passages as Joshua chapter 3. And so if we take all of that typology and we set it beside Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 5, this takes on a new meaning. What does it take to represent at the moment of death? The, the question is simply put to you in the service tonight. How will you do in the swelling of Jordan? How will you do when death's chilling waters are lapping around your feet? How will you do when those chilling waters overcome you and take you under? How will you do in the swelling of Jordan? How will you do in death? You may say tonight, well, preacher, I'm nowhere near death. 
This is for me, it's up ahead. Well, let me remind all of you, we're all just one little heartbeat away from death. That's how close you are to it. And if you were to take that last heartbeat tonight, how would you do in crossing over Jordan? Let's look at this question tonight and apply as best we can all of the spiritual application of it to our hearts and lives. First of all, it's a very personal question. How are you going to do? How wilt thou do? Death individualizes people. We come into this world one by one. And we'll go out just as we come in. And this is a question I think that brings us face to face with our dying hour. Our dying moment. Our dying second. And it always profits us. If we stop on the mad journey of life just to consider not just life but death. Not just how we're getting on in life, how we will progress in life, but what will happen when we actually come to the end of life. What happens when we come to die? A few days ago, <clears throat> went to the deathbed of a dear saint of God, our, our late sister, Miss Winnie Laverty. And all of the, the friends were gathered in that little room in the Royal Victoria Hospital. And what an experience it was just to be brought face to face with death itself. To see one who was so lively, active and engaging with all who were round about her, now incapacitated. And already in the swelling of Jordan. And it reminded those that were gathered in to that little room that this is the place appointed for all men. We have to exit this side. And the only way to exit this side is to go through Jordan. And we'll all come eventually to that crossing. And the question is put to you tonight. How are you going to do when you come to it? What sort of response can I expect from you? We, we think of the various people that you might meet in round and alone. What sort of question would you put to him? What would you put to the nominal Protestant in Rhinan alone? And you ask them, well, how are you going to fare when you come to die? And there are many nominal Protestants around this part of the world. And they have a great historical uh, tradition. They have many cultural uh, traditions. And rightly so, they're very proud of them all. I, I have no qualms with, with any of that. But how will they help you when you come to die? Will they take you? Will they take you over Jordan? I have been at funerals, orange funerals. I've watched them go through the procedure that happens at those funerals. And I want to tell you it makes no difference whatsoever. Not one iota of difference. 
I don't think anyone here this evening is so naive to think that any of the, the ritual of Protestantism will help them when they come to die. It's an impossibility. What about all of our Roman Catholic neighbors? Our friends. How, how, how will they do when they come to the swelling of Jordan? Well, if we're only to look at what happens, the Pope, uh, and he is at the head of it all, it doesn't really bode very well for those <coughs> that are at the bottom of the ladder in the organization. All over the world tonight, in monasteries and, and, in, and in cathedrals and in little local chapels, they'll be saying prayers and they will be saying special masses for the repose of the souls of the popes of Rome. They have to pass through purgatory. How do they do? Not very well. In the swelling of Jordan. But how will you do? Sitting there in those gospel pews, having heard the word, the way of salvation proclaimed so for years and years, how, how will you do in the swelling of Jordan? You have been so privileged in hearing the gospel and coming into contact with the gospels. We thought this morning being entangled with the branches, being so close to the vine and yet not being part of it, how will you do? Well, you'll not do well because you haven't got Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And the only anchor you need in the final storm of life is Jesus Christ. Well, it'll be nice to have the family and friends around you It'll be nice to know there are others waiting and watching with you. It'll be nice to think that we'll all have that deathbed experience, but many of us will not have it. We'll not be so privileged to have it. But the greatest <coughs> blessing you can have when you come to die is having salvation in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. That's the only thing that matters when you come to die. We'll go back to our text. I think this is a pointer question. What do I mean by that? Well, it points us back <clears throat> because all of this history was, was a connection with us why we took time to read with you Joshua chapter 3. And all of the wonderful typical teaching that's found in Joshua chapter 3. Just go back there to that passage that we, we took time to read together. <clears throat> and just a few of the details. Throw up some wonderful truths here for our hearts and for our souls. Here set before us is a solemn representation of Christ. Because that's what the ark of course was. It was a solemn picture of Christ. And he's, he's working our redemption. The ark, of course, foreshadowed uh, Christ as the covenant head of his people. And look at the instructions there in verse 3 and in verse 4. The command was that the ark was to go so far in front of the people, <coughs> it foreshadowed the fact that Christ alone secured our salvation. The ark had to do the work alone. 
And Christ had to do the work alone. There could not be any mistake about it. There could not be any misrepresentation of it. That's why the ark was put away. All of those many cubits in front. So there'd be no mistake. There'd be no misapplying the situation. What was happening now was of God. God was opening up the way that lay ahead. Only God could be doing this and only God could be working it. And out of heaven Christ came. He was sent by the Father. And he came to set his people free. But none could help him on this mission. He came alone and he had to save alone and he had to do the work alone in order that his people might be redeemed. He alone was the God-man. The one who could reconcile God and men in his one person forever. The one alone who could take weight of divine judgment upon him. He alone could do it. And he had to go alone. And he did. And how glad I am to be able to point you every Sabbath day in this house to the only one who can do helpless sinners good. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nobody else can do you good other than Christ. When you come to Jordan, who do you need? You need Jesus Christ. And when I come to Jordan, I want someone to come and to read to me of Jesus Christ and to tell me of Jesus Christ because it is he alone that I need and and nobody else. It's interesting to notice (coughs) that the Jordan River was not only an emblem of death, but it's an emblem of judgment. The word Dan means judging. If you compare Genesis 30 and verse 6. And what a torrential flood of righteous judgment broke forth on Christ at Calvary. All that his people should have suffered, he suffered in their stead. And that bitter cup of judgment, he drank it to the last dark dregs. And all of the wrath of God that was our due upon the Lamb was laid. And by the shedding of his blood, our debt to God was paid. Where will be your hiding in that day when you come to cross Jordan? It'll be to say that you're sheltering neath the blood of the Lamb. What will you plead? Will you plead your own righteousness? It'll mean nothing. The only plea we can put in in that day is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in him. I'm trusting in his merits. I'm trusting in his work. I'm trusting in his mercy and in his grace alone to save this unworthy soul of mine. If you look at Joshua 3.15, the river Jordan flooded right back to the place of Adam. It has to be significant, doesn't it? intimating that Christ bore the judgment of all our sin, both actual and original sin. Original sin emanating from Adam, because we were born in sin, shaping in iniquity, and then we all know in our own souls that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not just that I was born in sin. The fact is, I sin. I am not only Adam's child, I am Adam's sinning child. Jesus had to die for that sin. The debt has been paid. When you come to cross Jordan, 
you can safely go through. Why? Because Christ already has gone ahead of you. He went through Jordan for you and for me. He went through death. He went through judgment. He went through all of the wrath that should have been endured by us, but he went through it instead. And the text points us to Christ. And it points us to the cross. And it points us to the Savior. And it tells us when we come to die, there's only one way into heaven. And that's through faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary Center Tree. Are you trusting in it tonight? This is a question, thirdly, I want you to keep pondering upon. It's good for the Christian to ponder it. <coughs> because we don't know how soon that summons will come. How do we know when death will come? If you were to face persecution, if you were to face death for being a believer, how would you do it? Of course, some of us may never die. Late Jim McNew always told me he, he would just love to think that he was the last generation that Jesus would come back before he died. But that was not the Lord's will. Some of us, some, some of the church will be here when Jesus comes back. <clears throat> because that generation, that last generation, they're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. They're not going to go down into the grave. They're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. They're going to be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. But for all except that last generation we all must needs die some Christians die quickly we often say about a sudden death <coughs> it leaves an, an awful shock and trauma, trauma with those that are left behind but sudden death is sudden glory One of the first deaths I had here in Annalong was Maggie Cunningham. Many of you will remember Maggie. The doctor told James that before she even hit the, uh, the bed, she'd, she'd been dead. She just collapsed, but he said before she even hit the bed, she was dead. She was away. Caught up, caught up like Elijah. Some go quickly, some go painlessly. Just fall asleep in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never waken up. Others suffer physical pain and agony. The suffering, I believe, is not in the dying. The suffering is in the living, of course. And even if we could put it like this, a painful deathbed, is made one of ease and peace when that soul is set free. Transported from a body wrecked with pain to the realms of glory and heaven above. I think as Christians we, we can say we don't fear death, but we do have forebodings about it. I, I think none of us would be brave enough to say that we don't have, but let me assure you 
in the great plan and scheme of God. God has a place appointed just as he had for Israel in Joshua chapter 3 where you and I will cross Jordan. And we'll cross it safely because he has gone before us. Christ has vanquished death. And as in the type, so this covenant uh, reminds us that we through him will also vanquish our final enemy. What a wonderful truth to ponder on this evening. When we were in with Winnie, Linda and I and Ben just after the new year, she'd been battling dementia for some two, three years. <clears throat> but she was wise enough still to know how to pray, how to hold on to God. Just a few weeks ahead, she was telling us, every night I go to bed and I just pray, Lord, may I just waken up in your presence. She had pondered it. She had thought about it. She had prayed about it. Like Simeon of old in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, she was able to say, Lord, now let us, thou thy servant, depart in peace. That's a lovely place for the child of God to be in. As we close tonight, <clears throat> here's a question that's meant to be preparative in its nature. It's one of life's greatest ironies, I think, that we live to die. We live to die. We can't evade it or escape it, barring the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and yet there are many, and they make no preparation for it. People make preparation <clears throat> for their holidays. And they book their flights. And they book their, 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 the places where they're going to stay. And they book their insurance. And they make sure that they have appropriate clothing and transportation and somebody to look after the house. And you know, there's a whole uh, world of preparation to be put into it. And uh, they, they, they prepare diligently as they ought to do. As they ought to do. But there's multitudes have no preparation made for death. Read the, the wonderful illustration. If somebody is to give you <coughs> the assurance that they're going to deliver, they're going to deliver a three-course meal to your house every day for the rest of your life, you'd be very happy, wouldn't you? It would be like the Asda van coming or the Tesco van coming with the ready meal, and it's for you every day, and you'll not have to worry, you don't have to pay for it, you don't have to cook it. It's just there for you, ready every day. But there's one day there's going to be poison in it and it'll kill you. It matters not how many days we have. One day is going to have the poison of death in it. And it's going to take us out into God's eternity. And you have no guarantee, none whatsoever, that that day is not today. Today. I had an old friend in my first ministry up in Antrim. He was a convert of W.P. Nicholson. <coughs> he used to sing his testimony in Ulster Scotch. I couldn't understand a word of it, to be truthful. 
but he used to delight in singing it and I got him to put it in English. And this is what he said. Every earthly friend you have one day will leave your side and God shall send his message to cross death's swelling tide. The only friend to help you then to drive your fears away is Jesus who has died for you, the best friend of all. Who's your friend today? Because you'll only have one friend in that day that can help you. The Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not saved, I, I plead with you tonight to come to him. To put your faith and trust in him. He's the only one that can do helpless sinners good. And ensure on that day that you'll cross through Jordan victoriously. Regardless of how you're called to go through it. You'll go through it in victory. And you'll go through it triumphantly. And for those that do know and love the Lord. Keep looking to Christ. The place is appointed where we'll cross over. He'll open up the way. He'll be there in Jordan. He'll take our hand. He'll see us safely over. And he'll bring us safely home to Emmanuel's land.